I will, I will tee us off here today from one of the texts that we got already. Um, we'll probably do a little bit of a mixture of both. Uh, if you have a question and you want to ask it through the microphone, we can do that today, or I'll be reading some from the microphone, uh, I mean from the text thread through the microphone as well. First question for us today though, you kind of touched on it very early on, is why does there seem to be an acceleration uh, and definitely more people dealing with depression and anxiety these days than there? This was an older saint that asked us, like, back in our day, nobody was anxiously depressed, that sort of thing. Why does it seem like it's a, a huge proliferation of it these days? Yeah, yeah the reality is depression is, has been going on forever. There's no question about that. And back in the old times, you just didn't talk about it. That's, that's the way we dealt with things. Which was not courageous, it was foolish. <laughs> it, it was sort of missing the dynamics of of how things work in the kingdom of heaven. But, your thoughts? Um, it is increasing. Uh, the, with depression, they, no matter, it, it's not simply people are acknowledging it now and they refuse to acknowledge it before. It's, it's more than that. It's, if you look at the pre-war, the pre-World War I generation, and, and you move to the most recent generation, and the statistics are at least 10 to 50 times more depression now. And the, the, the trajectories go something like this. They're, they're always increasing. And then the pandemic, it's as if they're increasing like this. So you are whatever we're talking about today, you are guaranteed that you will experience more of it and you will have more of it around you. So I'm just punting the question. Let me ask you real quick. What, what are your own thoughts on this? It, it's, it at least suggests that it is more than physiology. I think with depression in particular, there tends to be a physiological, strong physiological contribution. But sometimes you can have a physical tendency to something and you need things to trigger it off. And sometimes things in life can, can trigger it. Um, some of your thoughts, yeah. But it is, yeah. But also in our own lives, I think as we get older, when you're a child, we're, we're like carefree. I'm sorry. When we're a child, we're, we're pretty much carefree, and as we age and more, sorry, I can eat the things, uh, more of our relatives pass on, more things happen that make us more aware of the end of life, that we're mortal, all these things. So it's just a thought that maybe yeah. as we age, we are more aware of the, the hardships, the problems, depression, things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's certainly, that, that, that might be part of it. The, the, the observation of life being carefree. I, I suspect that you find people old enough, you can say, yeah, that, yeah, that generation, we could take our bikes everywhere and come back at who knows when. And, in South Philadelphia, everybody looked after everybody else. So somebody, you know, people can have those sort of dying, dying kinds of stories. What you find in the present generation is nobody has a carefree life. Nobody. The people are touched with miseries at a much earlier age than they were before. Uh, and, and obviously, every, every, all of you are thinking social media. Social media introduces those things. Not only does it introduce those things, but it also gives you ways to deal with it, which are certainly uncomfortable. So social media, I think, is certainly an accelerant to them. But our children live in a different, different 
my, my, my daughters are old right now, but I can remember the, the, my older daughter when she was in first grade, in the second week of first grade, she sat around the dinner table and she said, Mommy and Daddy, when are you going to get divorced? Because she didn't know anybody, she didn't know anybody in her class where her parents were, her, both her parents were living together. Uh, that's just, I'm just giving you one example of how, of how nobody grows up in a place where things are okay. Uh, is someone, maybe one other thought about that? I haven't thought about it. Um, just I thought I was looking back okay. here. Sorry. <laughs> so no, where am I looking? Right here. Oh, Stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little short, so anyway. Um, yeah, so I have thought maybe from like the younger generation, um, although I'm not necessarily that young, but um, <laughs> there's, with the um, uh, added of uh, social media, globalization, like, the expectation is for you to live faster, you know, for you to um, achieve more, achieve faster, like get, you know, be completely independent super early. Um, and there's also a increased amount of comparison to other people. Like you can compare yourself to somebody that's halfway across the world and see, oh, well, this person achieved something at six years old, you know, the child prodigy. Why am I not that? Um, and so it can be really hard to see um, other people um, living their best lives for what it seems to be, you know. Um, you definitely you see everybody's highlights, and you only see your own lowlights. Um, so there's just this increased amount of comparison, whereas before social media and the globalization and everything, you only compared yourself to a few surrounding people. Yeah. Um, so there definitely is a lot of... Sheer amount of just insane amounts, and that's what we do, you know, and then there's just this increased expectation to perform. One of the, one of the times in my calendar year when I would, would feel, would sort of move towards something that feels a little bit like depression was, was when we get our Christmas letters. And there's once one family we get our Christmas letters from them every year. And their children were about the same age as our children. And they would tell them all the things that these these boys were doing, uh, and and I'm thinking, hold it, my my kids are are just still doing doing crass noises around the dinner table. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can boast about. Um, uh, I, I I I can remember the sort of the sort of dip. I am a total failure as a father because my children don't they they don't, they don't measure up. And after you know, by the end of the day, we'll be gone. I move on to something else. But social media, it's never gone. It's never gone. We're always rewinding. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's an important one. Uh, and I suspect there are dozens of, of reasons that contribute to, to the rise of it right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on anxiety medication as a component of treatment alongside counseling? Two things. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, when things are torturous, you look for things that can alleviate the physical intensity of it. How could you not? The, the way you make that decision, it would be in the broader category of wisdom. And, and, and this category of wisdom is, you make an informed decision. Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be not helpful? Um, uh, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What are the advantages, disadvantages? You, know, you get advice, and you make a decision. That's, that's one thing. You just make a decision on medication. Um, as Christians, we have the freedom to certainly alleviate suffering, physical suffering, when we have the opportunity to do it. 
So what we're we're doing is we're we're thinking. I hope this doesn't diminish different treatments for anxiety and depression. There's always something deeper. Uh, using that Second Corinthians four passage, um, the there, there are treatments that we can have that can have some sort of temporary effectiveness in our, in our bodies. We're happy for that. We are interested in these things that are eternal. Uh, that's that's what we are investing in. So, so that's that's the reminder that that's what we come to church for every Sunday to have those kinds of reminders. Uh, we can there are things that can make life easier. Nothing we want to distract us from from the things that are most important, or from the, from the person who is most important. So, that's, Josh, you want to you want to add anything to that? Thanks for the offer, but you're, you're <laughs> why does it seem like? Uh, the Christian church at large does not fully acknowledge mental health issues and more often than not just say something like, trust God and have faith. Um, what you're suggesting is, does the Christian church seem to lag behind the rest of the world in being able to have wise care for people who are going through these forms of suffering. Yeah, we're catching up. We're catching up, but but, um, but we're still prone to saying foolish things to people who suffer. Um, uh, what are the foolish things? It, I think what this question is challenging us to do is, is, to, is, is to walk with each other in wisdom and love. And and, and wisdom means it brings a certain humility. We can do some things well and some things not very well. So we're always looking to grow in the way that we care for other people. So here would be a question. What are the things that other people have done, has foolishly said to you? What have you said foolishly to other people? Are you remembering those things and do you know to steer clear of them? All of us, all of us should have those kinds of lists in our mind. The things we don't say, the things we do say. What are the things we don't say? We, well, we, we never say just. Just this. Just pray. Just Because it's taking this complex experience and saying, I'm the expert. You know, it's, I have the answer. If you just do this, then everything will be fine for you. Well, that's health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, just, just do this treatment, and everything will be fine. We, just never, we never say just. We never say, these are things you know. We never say at least. At least your family's still healthy. Or at least, because the reason we say, here's the problem with at least. To minimize suffering is there's something, there's something really truly diabolic about it. Uh, if you do it yourself, for yourself, or if you've spoken it to other people, because what happens? When you minimize suffering, you, there's no reason to talk to Jesus about it because it's not that big a deal. He's busy with people who have more severe sufferings than your own. You see the, bio, the diabolic nature of it? Anything that keeps you from pouring out your heart to the Lord, there's something, there's something that has dark fingertips on, on it. So, so you know, the, the question is, why are we lagging behind? I don't know. But, but I should say this. Um, 
I have a friend from India who prays that there will be 4% Christians in the population. Because his understanding of how things work is, is that once you hit 4% of the population, it's a critical mass and you begin to change the culture. So and with that in mind, I have seen those things. There's foolishness being spoken. Well, but if if we move with other people and live in love, there's something contagious about it. Uh, they, somebody who hears you do that, they will do it with somebody else, and somebody else will do it with somebody else. As they as they hear a testimony or things you even even said today, it's okay not to be okay. It's what's well, it's. Not, it's we are not okay. <laughs> we all have our different miseries and struggles, every single one of us. To simply have a culture that acknowledges such things is, seems like a little thing, but the church pivots in such places. So, I guess the answer is, yeah, the church is lagging behind and we want to grow, and we are. Amen. What would you say to someone who is content in staying in their depression? kind of anxious about coming out of it. Gentleness <laughs> um, uh, and patience. Uh, the, first, uh, the first thing I'm thinking is if a person is actually saying something like that, I really appreciate their willingness to speak openly about it. Um, uh, it's... And, 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 in our simplicity, there are some things that are natural questions. And that, that would be a natural question. You know, we don't ask questions, why, why do you walk? Well, some things we just, we just do. And some things are different than what we expect, and so we ask. Oh, help me to understand why, why somehow this is a comfortable life for you. Because it's not, it's horrible, it's horrifying. But help me to understand. So that's the first thing you're going to do. If you don't understand what the person is saying, well, you ask them a question. And you, you hear what they say. And who knows what they're going to say. But they might say, you might talk about their fears of hope. To, to, to allow hope to somehow grow and then for it to be dashed against the rocks. It's, you'd rather not have hope grow at all. Then what do you do? You, Tell us more about that. When, when does hope grow? And who knows how you're going to walk with that person. But you can see one of the trajectories might be there is a kind of hope that we are aiming for that is a certain thing. You sing the song, the song we just sang. You, you, you sing that together. You go through the words for it. Here is our certain hope. You're right. Can we, do we have any guarantees that depression will somehow resolve over the next. We have no guarantees of those things. To have hope that depression will give up its grip, we don't know. We can have hope that the Lord will give us patience and endurance in the present. To live today rather than tomorrow and the fears of tomorrow, we can have some confidence in that. But, but it's an occasion for, let's go out to what it means to truly be people who share the epistles view of what it means to hope in and seeing Jesus face to face. So that's, yeah, there's a lot of things we don't have to know. The hot seat continues. Uh, what are signs 
that we should be able to recognize in ourselves or others that would tell us that it is time to seek professional counseling. Um, I, I'm not going to answer that question directly. Um, uh, I'm going to just just identify it as as part of this profile of wisdom. We we have struggles every single day that we don't speak to other people about. No, you know, you might talk to a friend about it, but but we're not necessarily looking for help every day with every single struggle we have. We have resources that God has given us, and we take advantage of those resources. But here's the norm, that, that we are human beings. We call out to the Lord for help, and we call out to other people. That's, that's the norm. That when in doubt, I guess the, the answer to that question is when in doubt, get help! Yeah, when in doubt, in other, it doesn't mean you have to call a professional counselor. But when in doubt, nudge the person next to you. This is what I'm struggling with. And if you want to, want to make it even more helpful for them to give you help, give them a way to pray for you. Could you pray this particular passage for me uh, and stay with it? it it's, that, what is that? It's, it's just no sort of normal body of Christ kind of things that we, that we ask for help. And then perhaps the, the problem persists, in which case we ask for more help. And professional counselor might be part of the war help along with the physician, along with other people. So my, my point in that answer is, is to see that question as part of this, something that's very normal that all of us are doing. When, when we feel like we're over our head, we ask for help. We ask for prayer from the body of Christ. This is, this is the prominent resource, resource that God has given us. When in doubt, ask for help. That's good. In your clinical work, have you seen situations in which a person weaponized his depression to guilt and harm other people while appealing to the other person's obligation to be empathetic? How would you counsel someone in this situation? It sounds like it might have come from a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me move into that with, by way of um, we, are, we are ordinary people who we don't have this magnificent insight into the motivations of everybody else. Um, we are less discerning than we imagine. So, but that's one thing. Um, and so let's say a person is accusing us of not being compassionate. Well, um, chances are they're right. Uh, so, you you ask for prayer. You perhaps ask forgiveness. You you say that's exactly what I want you to grow in. That's exactly what I want to grow in. So you pray. You think, Lord would give you compassion. So it's you know, there's a simplicity to that. But but then you realize that no matter what you do, it's not going to measure up to what this person is asking. They're asking. They're defining compassion as as you will you will hear what a person says but you won't speak to what a person says. In, in which case, what, what do you do? You say, you say in, in our personal relationships, there's, we, we hear one another. We also speak with each other. And, and when we speak, what I try to raise 
are things that I think are true in Scripture. Things that are good for both of our souls. Now, can you help me to understand why is it that raising the truth of Jesus seems to, seems to fall into this category of lack of compassion? Um, that's, you see what I'm trying to do? I'm just trying to follow sort of this simple route. When the person says things that are vexing to us, well, we stop and consider. Sometimes you say, you're right. Other times you say, you know, I don't understand what you're saying because, because this is good. This is good. Um, is, it, is there something about Jesus that, that you don't want to hear? And the conversation continues. And according to that, that nature of wisdom, what do we do? We ask for help. You say, here's my friend. This is what my friend is saying. What do I do? Uh, every time I try to help, I feel worse, um, and the relationship gets worse. It's, pray for me. Pray for me that love would be obvious in my relationship with this person. Excellent. Uh, what would you say to someone who comes from a family of anxious people, uh, and it's been uh, blamed prior, primarily on biology? Uh, what do you do with someone professionals say you are biologically inclined to anxiety or depression. It's in your genetics. If it's in our genetics, how do we, how do we fix that? Um, you don't. Do I, do I believe that if we would talk about our anxieties or the struggle with depression, um, we would find that there is this kind of bell curve a lot of us are sort of here, but some of us are more extreme ends, and some of us, it doesn't seem to be as much of an ever-present struggle. My own, my own observation with that is it's not, it's, it's not a curve that identifies sanctification. We're here the really good ones who are sanctified, and here are the ones who are really immature. I, I do suspect that, that the proneness to anxiety or depression, there is a physiological component to it. My, my, my father, my father had a sister, and sometimes I would, when my father would talk about his anxieties to me, and then I would talk to his aunt, his sister, they were, it's as if they were saying the same words. Not to mention they were hospitalized the same times uh, for depression slash anxiety in, in their lives. Is my proneness to anxiety connected to it? I'd be proud if it was. <laughs> so, could well be. Uh, can our bodies be? Can our bodies and our minds be more prone to anxiety? Some of you have more active minds. So there's just all this stuff going on, and it's this swirl of confusion. Otherwise, it's just more sedate and just sort of walking pace of life. Is it? Is it possible that our physiology creates some of those contours? I think. It, I think it's certainly. It's certainly possible. Don't forget, what we're saying here is, is, is if, if, fear, if fear and anxiety and depression were sinful, we would say, yeah, it's, it's got to be on that trajectory of growth, uh, where there's going to be less of it. But we're not saying that. What we're saying is, is that the things that are most important to be able to turn to Jesus in the midst of our anxieties, that's, that's the gold standard. That's what we're looking for. And, and so as a result, those, those of you who are more prone to anxiety, more prone to depression, you are, I don't say this, 
there are ways that you are forced to rely on Jesus that are hard, but really, really precious. Really precious. If we use scripture to argue who's better off, those who are prone to anxiety and depression or those who aren't, we would probably say those who are prone to it because scripture has so many warnings about prosperity, sort of a trouble-free life, because then you can just do it on your own. So scripture has that counterintuitive approach, but I, would, I, would, I certainly believe that people have sort of physiological dispositions to experience things in certain ways. Yeah, sometimes we rehearse at church too. Sometimes uh, it's, an, it's even an advantage for us to not be okay. Like you, like you said, it just, it forces us, it pushes us to a place of dependence. Uh, counterintuitive, but wonderful. And it's easier to say that when the okayness is not quite as intense. Yeah. But, but indeed, we can all grow and say that. Uh, as Josh's personal counselor, what are his top two or three problems? <laughs> uh, let's move on. Um, just a couple more minutes here. Uh, how do you I, in, in, uh, uh, <laughs> in, in my understanding of how the spirit works, since you have a hundred problems, the spirit doesn't tend to, to do all of them at one time. He usually just gives us one. So I'll, I'll just, no, no. Couple more minutes here. How do you how do you cope with depression when a spouse or loved one does not believe that depression is a true emotional crisis, but is simply a lack of uh, faith uh, or pragmatism uh, or just an ignorant rejection of reality? In other words, I think. How does a depressed person or an anxious person shepherd someone who is not to believe that this is an actual uh, issue that they are struggling with and uh, a reality that is reflected in the pages of scripture? How does a depressed person shepherd the non-depressed person to believe it's a reality? <coughs> Excuse me. And, and it, just like anything else, where if you're going, if, especially if you're experiencing depression, you will know there will be people around you who discount it, who, who expect that you should be just like them. Well, you're feeling a little low, well, snap out of it. You, so, so you will get that from people around you. There's absolutely no question. Again, just like any hardship and suffering that persists in your life, it's, the closer it gets to home, the more painful it becomes. So to have a person who lives with this, even a very spouse, who, who, who skips compassion in the midst of suffering, uh, who brings a certain arrogance. I know what this is. Uh, it's just the wrongness. It's, it's bad thinking, whatever it might be. To have that in, home, in your home, it's, it's, it adds another weight to life. What do you say? Um, I have absolutely no idea. Because a person like this, they probably said a lot of things. It's, could we get help? Could we get help? Um, because we're, we're stuck on this. It's, it's, whatever this depression is, it almost has become like a child between us. It's, it's, it's we're tussling over it. We, we need help. Um, let's, let's go together um, and pray for the community. So that's, that's what you do. 
Excellent. This is probably going to be the last one for us today. We probably got more than 100 text messages, so if we didn't get to yours, I'm sorry. Ed will be right up here till 5 today. <laughs> April Fools again. Uh, last question here for us. Uh, how do I ask for help without sounding like I'm asking for pity? Or rather, how do I express my suffering without coming across like I am playing the victim? Maybe it's in tandem with the last question. Um, go to a different small group. Um, uh, no, not that. Uh, let, me, let me just take something I mentioned before. To, to ask for prayer, ask for help, attaching scripture to it. To, to, to embed it in God's word. If you don't have a scripture that would attach to it, you get help. And you, you know, because that's, you, you want to have some idea of what form help will take. And then scripture guides us in those kinds of things. So I think that would be a key one. It's for somebody to be asked for help and with, with a certain definition to it. Here's what I believe God says. Could you help me in this way? Could you pray for me in this way? That, that might make it a little more simple for the person who's, who wants to be out. Yeah, simplify, simplifies it and it substantiates it because it comes from the word. That's good. Can we all thank Brother Ed for his time? Thank you. Thank you, Brother. You served us very well.